This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 15th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Cloudflare provides services that protect websites from attack and their customers, as you might imagine, include many disfavored websites that lots of those on the internet want to attack. So what does it mean that Cloudflare has decided to stop protecting the home of many internet trolls? Kiwi Farms. Cato's Will Duffield and Elizabeth Nolan Brown of Reason comment. Will, you and I had just recorded a podcast uh, talking about Cloudflare and their decision to continue to provide services to uh, people that most people would find sort of abhorrent, at least in a, in a sense, in sort of their activities that they conduct online. And then as soon as we had recorded, they decided, nope, we're going to we're going to change our position on this. So just for people who are unfamiliar with Cloudflare and how companies like this operate on the Internet, uh, set the stage for us a little bit in terms of what has happened over the last couple of months and who this company is and who they provide services for. Cloudflare is a content delivery network and DDoS protection firm that helps websites to stay online. And over the past month, they became the focal point of efforts to remove a troll forum called Kiwi Farms from the internet. They maintained their silence for a while. They then published a document outlining why they felt they shouldn't engage in content moderation, at least for their content delivery services. It differentiated between hosting a website and the sorts of protection from DDoS attacks that Cloudflare offered. But after uh, publishing this document on, on Wednesday, on Saturday, Cloudflare, in a sort of about-face, um, decided to remove services from Kiwi Farms. And since then, the site has been knocked offline. And in an attempt to keep it offline, critics of the site have run even deeper into the internet stack, um, getting one of their domains seized in Iceland. And even uh, prompting Google to remove the Google Voice account used by the forum's administrator. All right. So, uh, Liz, there, Cloudflare draws a distinction between hosting content and providing services to keep that kind of site online. How do you evaluate sort of this, we should understand, private decision making among firms? Yeah, I mean, it. Obviously, you know, this is every time something like this happens, people get all like, oh, it's um, it's censorship or it's a Section 230 violation or it's an antitrust violation. And obviously it's it's none of those things on, on, on one level. It's sort of a, a sign that, you know, free free markets and free association are thriving and, and working as they should, because as, as a private company, you know, Cloudflare can choose to associate with whoever it likes. But I, I think, you know, the question that that this brings up is just uh, that you guys have sort of mentioned is that this just creates a dangerous sort of set of circumstances. Like typically companies like Cloudflare that do backend services, security services, um, you know, providing the infrastructure to do newsletters or to host a website or anything like that are are more like uh, phone companies. Like they are, they're neutral. That's even the, the thing the Cloudflare CEO said in a blog post that it's, that it's typically operated more like a phone company thinking that, you know, even if someone says something racist or sexist or whatever um, offensive on the phone, you know, the phone company doesn't cancel their service to them. Um, 
so the question is kind of, you know, it is should Cloudflare be neutral like that? Should internet infrastructure companies be neutral like that? Or do they need to take a more active approach in um, controlling sort of what gets to be online or not? While this is private content moderation, I think the justification for Cloudflare's action sets it apart from a lot of what we see platforms doing. When platforms remove content, they usually do so in order to foster a certain environment on their platform or within their service, prevent people from seeing upsetting content or being offended and leaving. And in this case, Cloudflare claims, says that it, it finally took action because of threats posted on Kiwi Farms that, that could pose a danger. And that in essence, it was stepping in because law enforcement had failed um, in, in order to make things safe rather than to foster a, a certain kind of environment or, or community. Now, I, I think this can be very concerning because this kind of infrastructural level moderation, when seen as a replacement or used as a replacement for failures of law enforcement, is much more indiscriminate. You're taking down the entire website for everyone who uses it because some people posted threats or personal information. And while there's issues with, with law enforcement, it's much more of a scalpel when you're prosecuting an individual on the basis of a threat that they've made rather than knocking a website off the internet for everyone. Uh, Liz, Will and I have talked about this in the past, which is that law enforcement, at least for a long time, was pretty bad at tracking down specific uh, problem users on websites who had made true threats or had engaged in pretty clearly illegal activity. Do you have any sense of uh, you know, Cloudflare says that they're doing this because of a failure of law enforcement, how uh, credible that is. I mean, I think that, yes, it's still very hard. It just it's very hard for anyone to do this, to, to figure out sort of where these people are. And I think the part of the problem has been jurisdiction, just sort of dumb bureaucracy things. But, you know, if it's, you know, you find out that the company is based one place or the hosted on a server based one place and then an account is doing it through another. Um, but, you know, also... Cloudflare, I, for what it's worth, they, the the print, uh, Matthew Prince, the CEO, said in in the second blog post where they said, you know, we're going to we're going to cancel their account, that they typically think they should wait for law enforcement and not do this, and this was extraordinary circumstances that they had to act. Um, so I, I mean, he says that this is not precedent setting. I think that that's kind of. Not really his call, though. I mean, it might not be precedent setting necessarily for his company, but I feel like once his company does that, people are going to be more expectant for them to do it in the future for other companies. And even if for some reason Cloudflare is able to resist that pressure, which again, I find doubtful, but it's, you know, it gives people more license to say like, to, we should pressure other companies to do this then. I mean, I think once you once you have that happen, it's it's easy to be like, well, why did you do it for that site and not these other sites? Or how is this any different? And it's easy to now suddenly find yourself in an opportunity where anytime that there's threats online, because um, just uh, I, Jesse Single and Katie Herzog, who do the Blocked and Reported podcast, were, were digging through some of the stuff. And they said, you know, as far as they can tell, there were only two direct threats Um posted on on kiwi farms about about this woman in question that uh and so you know i know that i don't think that it came down exactly to just the direct threats i think that cloudflare was also concerned because there was a lot of you know doxing and reporting the location of this um twitch streamer keffels and and things like that so it wasn't just like someone saying like ah, i'm gonna get her but like you know maybe actually doing things that would give people the opportunity to do that but 
I also don't think that there's evidence that that there was a lot more happening there in terms of direct threats than we can see on like so many other sites or or forums. I, I think that raises important questions about scale and how we view other platforms and the sort of safety or security actually offered by independence. Because traditionally we think of independent websites as more secure against moderation than large platforms. But in this case, because this community existed independently of anything else, it wasn't a Facebook group or a network of friends, then it could be targeted and taken down as a whole. Um, whereas, yes, much worse activity probably happens every day on Facebook from the sorts of things that have been banned in the past or that have been uncovered. You've had, you know, uh, Facebook groups for selling brides in in the Sudan, but at at this point, a lot of the the kind of Kiwi Farms community and activity has moved to Telegram, which while it's essentially run platform, it's one that has sort of notoriously refused to comply with uh, both takedown requests and even court orders. And so, in a sense, at this point, Kiwi Farms may be safer as a Telegram group than it was as an independent website, because as much as uh, people may want to get it removed from Telegram, I think it's much less likely that Telegram's uh, infrastructure providers will pull their support from the app or its service over this small um, group within it. Yeah, I think that that gets at another sort of fundamental question about all this is like, what what good does it actually do? I mean, you see, you saw this with people talking about 8chan and then 8chan just sort of popped back up as, as Kiwi Farms or elsewhere, or that, you know, people just migrated there. Like every time people are like, haha, we're going to, you know, we're going to get this one website canceled and then, you know, all this bad stuff will stop. And it's just, I mean, it's the internet. It's it's an international thing. Even if, if American, you know, or certain countries uh, hosting providers and everything are going to be pressured, like you said, like there are others that aren't and you just... You can't actually stop this kind of con like hateful content from from being online, no matter how much people might wish that's true. Uh, yeah, Greg Lukianoff likes to say, uh, "How on earth am I better off by not knowing how you really feel about something?" Right. And so, yeah. it, it, in a sense, it, Cloudflare is this one of the services that a group like Cloud Cloudflare provides is that we all get to see what uh, these people think about things, and we don't have to join a special hidden group on Telegram or somewhere else. That was like after the January 6th riots, too. There was a lot of people complaining about Parler, which, again, was not necessarily had the most or the worst of the people talking about, you know, doing stuff on January 6th, but happened to be more fringe and independent than than some of the others. So I think that it kind of became became the scapegoat for it. But um, same thing. I mean, after after that, it, it, there was reports that a ton of people had moved to um, part. Uh, sorry, had in, had moved to Telegram and encrypted messaging apps and things like that. So same sort of thing. It was like now we're just. I mean, it's not stopping this sort of content or an activity and organizing or whatever from taking place. It's just making it, yeah, like you said, harder for people to see. And we can never, in advance, know where cultural turns or international events will go. I think in retrospect, driving segments of the American right to a fairly Russian populated <laughs> telegram in the months before the invasion of Ukraine probably didn't help with the sort of right fifth column we've seen in the West since. 
there's been a lot of harassment in a sense on on both sides in this conflict between kiwi farms and and kefils and while obviously there are real qualitative differences between doxing and attempting to ratio people on twitter i think in in both cases the danger or potential for harm stems from the scale of the interaction and the unknown audience and in a way we can see them at on the same spectrum perhaps at at very different points on the spectrum but nevertheless on a spectrum that leverages the the unpredictability of internet interaction in order to scare or coerce or discomfort and also i think you know it's it's cases like this people are like okay well who could argue with with them canceling you know kiwi farms accounts which i know some people could argue with it for a lot of reasons but the vast majority of people are just going to be like oh i've heard this is a hate site i've heard this is a harassment site like sure take it down whatever we don't we don't need that sort of thing online but um you know the 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 uh prince the ceo of cloudflare and and um their public policy head Alyssa starzak in their first blog post and maybe you guys talked about this last week but you know actually said that the reason that they don't like to do this is because it tends to give authoritarian regimes cover and say, well, you did it for them. Can you do it for these other groups? And it ultimately ends up coming down hardest on on people that are that are marginalized more generally, not just on people who are making threats, but on people who have like unpopular politics or, you know, who are culturally marginalized or things like that. I think that's very important to recognize, especially as we talk about precedent, because while this has been billed as not setting precedent, those last two decisions around 8chan and the Daily Stormer were also presented as non-precedent setting. And yeah. yet, just as you said, um, as Prince tells it, Cloudflare's own language and justifications for removing the Daily Stormer were used by authoritarian regimes to justify removing groups or or websites that you know we would find no no problem with and and are very repressed in their own societies. I mean, I think, yeah, Cloudflare seems like they're they're in a really hard place. And 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 they're trying to, they're kind of talking this weird, they're doing this weird thing where they're kind of like, this is not precedent setting. We really don't want to do this. We really aren't going to do this again. And like you just said, they've done it, you know, this is the third time now. And they they keep saying we're not going to do it again. And then they keep doing it. Uh I I get the sense, I do believe them that they don't really want to do this, right? Like they I think that they would prefer that this not have to be their course of action. It really, you know, the, the CEO has described himself as almost a free speech absolutist. I think that they they have really tried to avoid this. They haven't easily caved um, a lot, you know, with, with all the pressure that they've gotten through for all sorts of websites. But they are facing so much liability, I think, if they don't. And that's, that's another part of this that we don't talk about is that, you know, there's so much pressure um, on tech companies from from the U.S. government right now in, in all sorts of capacities, whether it's lawsuits or whether it's congressional hearings and things like that, to uh, so much pressure for them to be liable for anything that they that is posted by their users or by people that they are even remotely fi- affiliated with. Um Right now, like Visa is in trouble for processing payments on Pornhub because of alleged exploitation on Pornhub. There's just like we're we're branching further and further out in the intermediaries that are being that are being accused for or trying to be held liable for whatever sort of content people find objectionable. And so I think that Cloudflare Cloudflare is sort of just recognizing that it's it's not just like, oh, we don't wanna, you know, we don't wanna be looked at bad by people online, but it's like 
oh crap, we might face like huge liabilities or huge new regulations that would sort of cripple us if we if we don't act volunt quote unquote voluntarily. And frankly, it's just a mark of a very good product. There was recently a report alleging that four out of 10 hate sites used Cloudflare. Um, but hate sites are, are often targeted with DDoS attacks, just like other unpopular or sort of dissident sites. And so we would expect them to be on a kind of most useful, best service um, around. In offering such a, a uniquely important service, Cloudflare then becomes a, a target. Um, its gatekeeping power is too yeah. useful for everyone for them to be left alone. Do advocates, the people who are, uh, you know, rallying around taking these sites down or for a company like Cloudflare to stop providing those sites with services, do they know or recognize or is there, is there any sort of introspection that, you know, we're just sending these people underground where... <laughs> the people they end up you may end up associating with will be have much more abhorrent uh, views or be willing to take more abhorrent action. I think there's some people who don't actually think about that and honestly think that you know that this will make a difference. That if these things are not, if this sort of speech or organizing or whatever is not you know happening very publicly, then it won't be happening at all. But I think that there are also just people who don't care. You know, I mean, their goal is just to get their goal is to sort of score points against people who do these this kind of thing, because it's not just people, you know, you see this not just with, uh, you know, people who are making direct attacks or doxing or doing harassment, but just sort of all sorts of views that they don't like. And, you know, you see a lot of people trying to get their ability to use Substack or something, for instance, you you see sort of the Kiwi farmers placed in the same category as, say, like Glenn Greenwald or something or other people that people just like don't like, you know. You see them being like, well, what, how is, why is Substack hosting hate speech by hosting blogs by, or, you know, newsletters by uh, Glenn Greenwald and Freddie DeBoer or whoever. Um, so I think that it's, you know, partly just uh, a means to try and pressure companies into to stopping hosting the, the speech of, you know, all sorts of people that, that are found objectionable. Elizabeth Nolan Brown is a senior editor at Reason. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>